you ladies. There is one goal, and that goal is to be reunited with our heavenly family. So let's not forget that. Let's keep that as the centerpiece of all that we're doing, shaping every part of our life, the ordinary, which is most of our life, and that which is not so ordinary. So I want to wish you all Merry Christmas on this day after Christmas. We're so glad you're here. Before I begin this morning, last week I showed you the financial dynamics of our offerings, and I had somebody recommend this Sabbath I show you where we're at with tithe. And so I gathered the last four years, this is through November, and one of my prayers, I've invited you to pray with me, one of my prayers has been that this year would be the single best financial year for this church ever. We shut down for two months, at least in some form and fashion. We continue to minister here on Sabbath. But this is through November of every year. I went back as far as I had access to the records. And you can see that this year God is doing what we've been asking Him to do. And I'm trusting as we come to the end of the year that it will turn out to be way better than we even thought. So I want to encourage you. This is our last Sabbath. There will be people in the office. The resources of this church are part of its ability to wage war with darkness. And I, I want to remind you, there's a couple things that matter for a church. I think about this. What makes a church strong? You have elements of um, togetherness. If a church is not together, it's not strong. So your intentionality to be connected in church has had direct bearing on the salvation of souls. Are you making an effort to connect with people? It's so easy not to connect. But your intentionality in connecting actually creates power for God. He works in the midst of that unity. A second thing that really matters to a church is commitment. What is the level of the commitment of the members? That commitment is mirrored in financials. It's mirrored in time. There are so many committed people in this church who go the extra mile, show up extra early, linger extra late, don't complain. It's a beautiful thing. And then we have elements of people, leadership, financial, resources. God always intended that the gates of hell should not be able to contend with his people, which means his people are on the aggressive side. They're not waiting. They're not holed up in the fortress. They make forays out of the fortress of light, and they go after the bastions of darkness. That power, when God told Joshua, don't go to the left, don't go to the right, nobody's going to be able to stand against you all the days of your life. That humble obedience... That high level of commitment, that power of unity, the forces of evil should be made to tremble knowing God is in the midst of her people. So this morning on this last Sabbath of 2020, I want you to know there's five things. You've heard me say this before. I'm going to tell you again. I pray for five things for this church. I invite you to pray with me. Number one, I pray for the Holy Spirit to be poured out on this church every day. The sweetness, the unity, the purposefulness, it's a function of God's presence in our midst. I pray for people, that God would bring the people that will make this church stronger. 
Some of those people are new souls. Some of those people are other people that will choose to strengthen the ministry and mission of Seventh-day Adventism as God is giving this church a chance to live it out. I pray for money. I absolutely do. I pray for money. I've been in churches where there's no money. It's like tying the hands of everybody behind their back and saying, go out and fight. I pray for, for vision, and I pray for organization. I invite you to pray with me for those things. And may God help us finish this year very, very strong. There's a world to win. And we, I was going through my file on my phone about looking for some information I had hidden away. And uh, I went back through my sermons. And what I found was some very interesting sermon titles. One of them was Blood on the Hands of the Remnant and Safe and Secure on the Wrong Side of Jordan. I hope you've had a blessed year. I hope the new year is even better. I want to remind you, uh, this next year as I was uh, reflecting, I think we're going to have a special focus on Bible memorization this year. You know, for most of Earth's history, most people didn't have Bibles. Holding a Bible in your hand as an ordinary person is a function basically of the last two centuries. The devil's going to try to take it away from us again. Having it hidden in our hearts, our minds. So the year 2021, by God's grace, will have a special emphasis on Bible memorization. Something that can't be taken from us. Let's pray. Lord, as we come to the end of this year, I'm praying again, Lord, send us your spirit most of all. Give us eyes to see as heaven sees. Give us the focus, the joy that heaven has. The deep bondedness, the brotherhood, the sisterhood, the unity. I'm praying, Lord, that you would send us the people. Send them online. Send them in the building. Send them, Lord, in any form and fashion that you so desire to send them. New souls, Lord, give us eyes for people. I'm praying, Lord, for the resources. You know from the very beginning of this pandemic, when everyone was tempted to just hunker down and close up shop, it was clear, Lord, that your mission was needed now, then and now more than ever. And I'm praying now, Lord, give us insight to understand what that stewardship looks like. I'm praying, Lord, send us a heart for a lost world. Give us confidence and boldness. Send us the resources, Lord. I'm praying also for the vision and the organization. Many people well-connected who can move like an army and strike terror in the hearts of the enemy because the captain of the host is in their midst. Now bless us, Lord, as I take up this subject of mourning, gray matters. And I pray that you'll bless us as a people on these last days of 2020. In Jesus' name, amen was in Florida on the site visit with our principal, school board chair, and uh, our, one of our ministerial interns, Martin Ramirez. And I'm not on Facebook. If you're on Facebook, use it for good. Don't let it churn through your time. Be a digital missionary. It can be used that way. And also I want to suggest if you come across something good that you think is credible, don't send it to me on Facebook because I'm not there, but send it to me. 
I'm going to crowd resource my sermon this morning, and I'm very blessed when people don't, don't send me stuff that isn't good. <laughs> but when you come across something that looks credible and you think it would bless others, send it to me. I might use it. I might not use it. But having it to look at is a benefit to me. And why not take advantage of our networking? So I was sent a meme, or it was read to me. Then it was sent to me via text. And I have searched it out to find out where it started. It started with a man named Ted Bauer, who lives in the Dallas-Fort Worth area. And uh, he said he got this from his girlfriend's grandmother, who was 86 years old. You may have seen it. If so, I hope it blesses you, challenges you, comforts you, maybe unnerves you just a little bit. It's a mess out there now. Hard to discern between what's real What's just simple panic and hysteria? For a small amount of perspective at this moment, imagine you were born in 1900. On your 14th birthday, World War I starts and ends on your 18th birthday. 22 million perish in that war. Later in the year, a Spanish flu epidemic hits the planet and runs until your 20th birthday. 50 million people die from it in those two years. Yes, 50 million. On your 29th birthday, the Great Depression begins. Unemployment hits 25%. The world GDP drops 27%. That runs until you are 33. The country nearly collapses along with the world economy. When you turn 39, World War II starts. You aren't even over the hill yet. And don't try to catch your breath. On your 40, 41st birthday, the United States is fully pulled into World War II. And between your 39th and 45th birthday, 75 million people will perish in the war. Smallpox was epidemic until you were in your 40s as it killed 300 million people during your lifetime. At 50, the Korean War starts, 5 million perish. From your birth until you were 55, you dealt with the fear of polio epidemics each summer. You experienced friends and family contracting polio and being paralyzed and or dying. At 55, the Vietnam War begins and doesn't end. That must be, it must mean 65. At 65, your Vietnam War begins and doesn't end for 20 years. Four million people perish in that conflict. During the Cold War, you live each day with the fear of nuclear annihilation. On your 62nd birthday, you have the Cuban Missile Crisis, a tipping point in the Cold War. Life on our planet, as we know it, almost ended. And when you turn 75, the Vietnam War finally ends. Think of everyone on the planet born in 1900. How did they endure all that? When you were a kid in 19, fill in the blank, you didn't even think your 85-year-old grandparent understood how hard school was and how mean that kid in your class was. Yet they survived through everything listed above. Perspective is an amazing art, refined and enlightening as time goes on. Let's try to keep things in perspective. Your parents and or grandparents were called to endure some or all, probably not all, of the above. And you're called to stay home and sit on your couch. Now, when I was a boy in probably the eighth grade, my seventh-day Adventist school teacher showed us a video. It was a video about people that were living in a nursing home. I'm not sure that he previewed it. 
I have very high esteem for this individual. I don't know how much of it he previewed. If he previewed it, he wasn't prepared for how it hit us. At the very end of the video, two people were escaping from the nursing home in their wheelchairs. They were rolling down some country road as fast as they could go with more vigor than most people in the nursing home have. And in the background, very distinctly, was the hallelujah chorus that was played. We all thought that was a hoot. And we laughed and we laughed and we laughed. My teacher was quite troubled by it, I think for two reasons. Number one is that the Hallelujah Chorus is a completely spiritual song set to truly bring glory to God, not illicit comedy at old people escaping from the nursing home. And number two, I could guess that he was troubled by the overall portrayal of dynamics of the youth and the aged. This morning, I want to bring to your attention that as we live on the cusp of eternity and the soon return of Jesus, the devil has sought to create a very interesting but not completely new element of how the generations relate to each other. And so at the very moment in time when we need to hold the seniors in our midst, the men and women of experience, at the very time when they need to be held up the most for understanding how to run this gauntlet of temptation, we find ourselves in a situation where they have been marginalized and their voices the least. So this morning, I want to show you something from the Christmas story, and I want to show you something from the scriptures that modern society has passed by. The technical revolution has left many of our seniors, not all, I'm surprised sometimes, but the technical revolution has left many of our seniors looking irrelevant, out of touch, and out of date. When the fact of the matter is, is that there is no educator like life, and there's nothing new under the sun. So at this moment in time, as we anticipate the second advent, I think it's important for you to understand the, the imperativeness and the role of the seniors in the first advent. So take your Bibles this morning and open them up to the book of Luke. The book of Luke. In the book of Luke, we have two very interesting narratives that both involve older people. Gray matters. In Luke chapter 1, verses 5 and onward, we have the story of John the Baptist. Now, John the Baptist has a very unique beginning in that he, like the other children of promise made to Abraham and then to Isaac and Rebekah and then to Jacob, all of these people are married to barren women. Now, we don't know, according to medical science, whether or not the barrenness was in the bosom of the man or the woman. Unfortunately, in the age of Abraham and the patriarchs, it was attributable to the woman. While we cannot ascertain where the barrenness was, we know that Abraham couldn't have a baby, or at least it appeared that way. Of course, Abraham has a baby, so in this case, the barrenness is in the experience of Sarah. But this dynamic of children as miracles in one's old age 
is a component that repeats itself throughout scriptures. When we come down to the forerunner of Christ, we have an old man. He's of the uh, tribe that will offer priestly service of Levi in the temple. Luke chapter 1, verse 5. In the days of Herod the king, there was a priest named Zacharias of the division of Abijah. And he had a wife from the daughters of Aaron, and her name was Elizabeth. They were both righteous in the sight of God, walking blamelessly in all the commandments and requirements of the Lord. But they had no children, because Elizabeth was barren, and they were both advanced in years. So we get a clear picture that there's two reasons why this couple has no children. One is that Elizabeth is barren, and the other is is that now age has passed her by. Now, Zacharias is in this uh, experience of coming to the precincts of Jerusalem a few times a year, and it just so happens that he's going to receive the lot to go in and pray before the altar. Verse 8, now it happened that as he performed his priestly service before God in the appointed order of the division, according to the custom of the priestly office, he was chosen by lot to enter the temple and the Lord, of the Lord and burn incense. And the whole multitude of the people were in prayer outside at the hour of the incense offering. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him standing on the right side of the altar. Now, this is a sign of favor. And Zacharias has been divinely appointed for this encounter because God is going to begin the announcing of hope for the world. People are praying. The angel of the Lord appeared, verse 13, Zacharias was troubled when he saw the angel and fear gripped him. But the angel said to him, don't be afraid, Zacharias, for your petition has been heard and your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son and you will give him the name John. You will have joy and gladness and many will rejoice at his birth. Now, I want to hit the pause button for a moment. Make sure you're not missing something. Number one, this man is old. Number two, his prayer is being answered. Number three, it's a prayer he's prayed for decades. There are some of you for whom prayers have not been answered and they have been prayed for similar amounts of time. I want you to understand that this man also does not have joy and mirth in his heart. It's something that he will have. Verse 14, you will have joy and gladness. God has read the experience of this man and the accumulation of grief through apparently unanswered prayer along with the spiritual condition of the church has left this man in a rather depressed state of mind. If you're a senior listening to me today or whether you're not a senior listening to me today, be very careful that you don't allow yourself to slide into the grip of depression and discouragement, of fear that your voice is not heard. There's nothing worse than an old person who could give life. The Bible says in Proverbs 15 that the tongue of the righteous is like a tree of life, like this 86-year-old girlfriend's grandmother that puts things in perspective. An older person has the ability 
to shore up the nerve, to strengthen the spine, to motivate the heart, to encourage the discouraged. But a person that hasn't walked with God and learned along the way also has the power to suck the life out of people. Because it doesn't matter how old we get, we all still value the affirmation of those individuals from our parents' or our grandparents' generation. Now, of course, it works the other way, too, back up the line for words of encouragement to go. But I want you to know, Zacharias is a discouraged old man. But God doesn't pass him by because he's lost faith. God doesn't pass him by because he doesn't seem to really be a believer anymore. God says, you're going to have what you've prayed for, and you're going to get back joy, and you're going to be used by me. Verse 15, for he will be great in the sight of the Lord, and he will drink no wine or liquor, and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit while yet in his mother's womb, and he'll turn many to the sons of Israel back to the Lord their God. It is he who will go as a forerunner. Now we understand that the Messiah is very near. Before him in the spirit and the power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers back to the children and the disobedient to the attitude of the righteous as to make people ready, prepared for the Lord. And Zacharias said to the angel, How will I know this? For I am an old man, and my wife is advanced in years. It's nice that he doesn't call her an old woman. The angel answered, and he said to him, And I've preached a sermon on this. I entitled it, Do You Know Who You're Talking To? (laughs) I am Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God. I have been sent to speak to you and bring you this good news. He's so discouraged, even though he's having an angelic epiphany. In other words, there's an illumination from heaven in his presence. The angel that took Lucifer's place has been sent to talk to a discouraged older man. Behold, this is how you're going to know. You will be silent and unable to speak until the day when these things take place because you did not believe my words, which will be fulfilled in their proper time. The people were waiting for Zacharias, and they were wondering at his delay in the temple. But when he came out, he was unable to speak to them. Now, I want you to recognize something about this man. As discouraged and weighted and dark as the environment around him and within him was, God did not pass him by. And for every person that's looking at someone aged in their life or reflecting back on those people who guided you in the way, you are the best people to see their mistakes. Just be assured that the generation after you will see yours. God designs that the gray head found in the way of righteousness is to be honored, and whether it's Abraham lying not once but twice to the pharaohs of his day, or Isaac doing the same, or Jacob doing the same to his very father, God does not pass these people by because they've made mistakes and they haven't gotten it quite right. Somewhere along the way, we've come to a place where if you make a profession of Christ especially for any period of time, and I'm not saying this to lower the standard, friends. I'm saying this to increase the grace. But somehow we've come to the place, along with the societal pressures of this current day, to where if an older person is still growing and has some flaws, we want to write him off. 
But I'm here to tell you, before Christ returns, the seniors in our midst will fulfill a very special role, and we ought to be paying extreme attention to those who have actually managed to walk with Christ for a period of time. Zacharias is still the most respected priest God can work through, even though he's discouraged and weighed down. And for those nine months of silence, there is a witness that speaks loudly that there was a divine encounter and that something special is underway. When you can look at your parents, if you still have them, if you're privileged to have them, when you look into the elders in the church, nobody gets a pass because they've got status. But everyone that has the status of years is supposed to get the honor that goes with the education of that journey. I had one of you tell me once that the easiest way, if I'm not smearing what you said, the easiest way around maturity or really growing up is education. But there is an education in life for those that are humble enough to receive it. And if there's a group of people that I value being around, it's an older person who has really been tutored by Christ, who knows the difference between a lump in the oatmeal, a lump in the throat, and a lump in the breast. Someone that can say in kindness what needs to be said, and all the credibility they need is the fact that they have lived and loved people and truth and done their best. Zacharias is not perfect. His flaws are are flayed out before the entire watching universe and written down in eternity in a permanent record. But he's still God's choice. And God comes to an old man to make sure that the highest credibility of voice can be found because nothing educates like life, which is why God says, rise up in the presence of a gray-haired man whose ways are the ways of righteousness. When we think about Paul's admonition to Timothy, we realize that the reason that God had to say, let no one despise thy youth, is that there were still cultures of honor for age. That which was ancient was esteemed. Take your Bibles and go to the book of Revelation. Why is it that when we get to the book of Revelation and we see this one walking in the midst of the candlesticks, he has the attributes, the physical attributes, at least the distinct one of white hair. Why is it that this is the way Jesus is portrayed to John. Revelation chapter 1. John is having a vision on the Sabbath day, beginning with verse 12. Then I turned to see the voice that was speaking with me, and having turned, I saw seven golden lampstands. And in the middle of the lampstands, I saw one like the Son of Man. He knew who it was, clothed in a robe, reaching to the feet, and girded across his chest with a golden sash. His head, now we're going to come to the description of his physical being, not his clothes, but his physical person. His head and his hair were white like wool. Now, we know from Daniel chapter 7, I believe it's verse 9, we won't look that up this morning, this is almost a verbatim copy of the description of the judge in Daniel chapter 7. And do you know what his name is? His name is Ancient of Days. Now, I'm going to give you something to think about that I hope you'll really ponder. Before sin, I believe it's absolutely a fact that people were to get more beautiful as they aged. And after sin, 
there were some retentions of beauty that flowed from what was being made new inside, even though the outward was like a flower fading. But God never intended for people to not get old. As a matter of fact, the Ancient of Days is the chosen name of Jesus. There must be something more beautiful as eternity goes by. It's not just in an understanding that we have about person. It's the fact that God is going to and always planned for things that age to become more perfect, if that can be more beautiful. Instead, in the, in the economy of Lucifer, of evil, Age works on the physical body because of the curse of death. And we find that the beauty has to be sought for. It has to be noticed. And in this age which is fixated on youth and sexuality, age is at the wrong end of the spectrum. But I am assuring you today that in the first advent of Christ, it was the aged through which Christ worked primarily, of course, with the exception of the virgin mother. But I'm not done. Go back to the book of Luke. In Luke chapter 2, we find that Jesus is now 40 days old. In this, in this verse, 8 days old. Luke chapter 2. And he's going to be presented in the temple. Luke chapter 2, beginning with verse 21. The shepherds have come, they have gone. Bethlehem is not far from Jerusalem, and Jesus as the firstborn will be presented. An offering will be brought, and in this encounter, another engagement with the seniors, the men and women of life credibility. Verse 21, and when eight days had passed before his circumcision, his name was then called Jesus, the name given by the angel before he was conceived in the womb. And when the days of their purification, according to the law of Moses, were completed, they brought him up to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. Now we're at 40 days. And as it was written in the law of the Lord, every firstborn male that opens the womb shall be called holy unto the Lord. This is a reference back to the Passover. All of those babies in Israel that were saved were dedicated to God. And in order to recognize that special provision and offering was made. Verse 24, and to offer a sacrifice according to what was said in the law of the Lord. A pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. There was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. This man was righteous and devout, looking for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was upon him. Those, that litany of characteristics is exceptionally important because you can grow old without growing holy. And you can grow old without growing faithful. You have a day at a time. Life is the educator. The spirit is the teacher. Those things in, in consort with each other have the ability to make a man or a woman like God. He was devout. He was looking for the consolation of Israel. And the Holy Spirit was upon him. He didn't become devout just because he was old. He became devout by sitting at the feet of Jesus. Isaiah 50 verse 4, the sovereign Lord has given me a tongue to know the word that sustains the weary one. He wakens me morning by morning. He wakens me to be taught to listen so that I can have a word to sustain the weary one. 
God's people who have walked with him throughout their life are special treasures, and the credibility of their person is what God chose to leverage in the announcement or the attempt to save the nation of Israel. They were passed by with the shepherds, and yet there was this very internal messaging that was going on, and he on his person had to say, Zacharias is a righteous man. Any honest person, even though they were being caught up in the culture of a corrupt priesthood, had to say, Simeon is a righteous man. There is no higher level of credibility to messaging than the credibility of a life. When commentary in the Desire of Ages is written on Jesus and the soldiers don't arrest him, and they come back to talk to the Sanhedrin, they say, why didn't you arrest him? And their answer is, no many spoke as this man spoke. Ellen White in the Desire of Ages will comment that the reason nobody spoke as this man spoke is because nobody lived as this man lived. It is the life that brings credibility to a message, especially in issues of holiness and the awareness of God. Everyone understood that Simeon was the real deal. Probably some saw him as eccentric. Probably some saw him as just a little over the top in regards to religion. And yet for all those people who had had an encounter where his shadow had fallen on them in the temple precincts and he, like a tree of life, had given them a piece of fruit, words of life, the lips of the righteous are a tree of life. And those encounters he had had with so many that had come into that temple had blessed and strengthened and comforted and nerved. Everyone knew Simeon was the real deal, which is why Simeon was allowed the privilege of announcing that the one had come to his own temple. Looking at verse 26. And it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. What a message. And it came, he came in the Spirit into the temple. Friends, go every day in the Spirit into your daily work. Don't come to this church without saying, Lord, bless me before I go. I don't know who I'm going to meet. I don't know what's going to happen. I don't know what you're going to say. And when the parents brought in the child Jesus to carry out for him the custom of the law, he took him in his arms and he blessed God and he said, Now, Lord, you're releasing your bondservant to depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the presence of all peoples. And listen to this this word, this harbinger message, telling what's coming, which was a wake-up. For all those Jews who couldn't stand to have the shadow of a heathen fall on them, here's the message, a light of revelation to the Gentiles first and the glory of your people Israel. And his father and his mother were amazed at these things that were being said about them, but he's not done. Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, behold, this child is appointed for the fall and the rise of many in Israel for a sign to be opposed Man, how can one old man get so much right? He's walking in the Spirit. The Spirit is giving him the thoughts, the words, the courage, the kindness. Unless Mary should have a wrong set of expectations, as almost all Israelites did, Simeon delivers a message that she will reflect on throughout her life, and its poignancy will become pointed at the cross. A sword will pierce even your own soul to the end that the thoughts from many hearts may be revealed. 
Imagine how many times when the little boy Jesus was being bullied and ostracized and left out and made fun of and mocked because he was genuinely good and kind. And he wasn't going to bend to peer pressure. Imagine how many times that sword was piercing her soul. Lord, why is it like this for your anointing? Imagine all those moments when they were wondering, when will he do something and when will the prophecy come true? Simeon delivers to the nation of Israel in the bosom of religious worship what the real mission of the Messiah will be. And he's going to be followed up by a righteous woman. There was a prophetess, verse 36, Anna, the daughter of Phanuel, of the tribe of Asher. She was advanced in years and had lived with her husband seven years after her marriage. So she was a widow a long time. And then as a widow to the age of 84... She never left the temple serving night and day with fastings and prayers. Listen, for this woman, the church family was everything. Do you know there are men and women of senior years for whom this family still means everything? Train your little children to be kind and warm and affectionate with the older people in our midst. Train your children to be friendly with the generations that are not theirs. Help them, prompt them, require them to actually look people in the eyes and shake their hands and give them a smile. Actually help them get past the place where that's just an older stranger. Help these children come to the place where they can actually have a beautiful bond similar to and akin to that of grandparenthood where the children can be rich in the sense of extended family. This older lady for whom so much was centered around God's family, God's fatherhood, God's presence. She came, verse 38, and began giving thanks to God and continued to speak of him all those who, to all those who were looking for the redemption of Jerusalem. I want you to see what's going on. Now, I'm going to take you one step farther, which you'll have to decide if it makes sense. For me, it makes complete sense. Take your Bible and turn over to the book of Job. Job chapter 32. I'm going to add one more thing into this Christmas narrative that I want you to think about. Job chapter 32. Because all throughout the history of the Scriptures, there was clearly a sense that those who have lived life, and especially lived it well, were to be especially honored. Job chapter 32 We're in a unique moment in the book of Job. His three friends seem to have run out of things to say. There's been a fourth man waiting in the bay. And this fourth man is of a different generation. He's a younger man. Chapter 32 of Job. Then these three men ceased answering Job because he was righteous in his own eyes. (laughs) Well, you know what? Job is a very interesting book. Job knew he hadn't done anything to bring this on. They were convinced he did. They finally decided they weren't changing his mind. But look what happens in the heart of a young man. Now, this man has it right in one sense and has it wrong in another. Elihu. He's angry, verse 2. But the anger of Elihu, the son of Barakel, the Buzzite of the family of Ram, burned against Job. Against Job, his anger burned because he justified himself before God. Now, what Elihu has going on for him is he at least has a sense that 
And we haven't quite gotten there, but I'm giving you the, the, the warning. We at least have a sense that he knows enough to hang back and not say anything until the older men have finished talking. He also is thoroughly indoctrinated in the idea that if you do good, God is good to you. And if you do bad, God is bad to you. So he's true to his understanding of the narrative, and he's in complete agreement with Job's other three friends. Verse 3 the Bible writer, in this case Moses, is going to get the point across. And his anger burned against his three friends because they had found no answer, yet had condemned Job. Now Elihu had waited to speak to Job because they were years older than he. Skip down to verse 7. Well, we'll keep reading. And when Elihu saw there was no answer in the mouth of the three men, his anger burned. You get the idea. He was a pretty angry man. So Elihu, the son of Barakel the Buzzite, spoke out and said, I'm young in years, and you're old. Therefore, I was shy and afraid to tell you what I think. That is not the culture of the day. But for any young person listening to me here today, I'll take this from my wife's grandpa, old saint. He said, an empty wagon rattles the loudest. There is something about care in what you say. It's better to be quiet and be thought a fool than to speak up and remove all doubt. And this is a moment where we're at. Elihu knows that he needs to wait his time and place. Young people, be very careful how much you have to say on a subject matter, especially in the presence of a man or a woman a generation ahead of you. I'm young in years and you're old, verse 6. Therefore, I was shy and afraid to tell you what I think. I thought age should speak and increased years should teach wisdom. Now, I'm going to let go of Elihu's experience right there, but I want to hang on to the last sentiment I just read. Age should speak and increased years should teach what? Wisdom. Now, I'm here to suggest to you today confident, though not explicitly able to prove it, that when men from the east come bearing gifts and the Bible writers choose to label them as what? Wise. I am confident that these men and their entourage, but especially these men labeled wise, are fitting the Bible definition and they are senior men. What I want you to recognize is that the last words of the book of Malachi, which is that God will turn the hearts of the children to the fathers and the fathers to the children, is that God understood, just like he understood writing through Paul, that we should not forsake the assembling together. He understood how important it was going to be that generations were bound up together. Ellen White using the illustration of Eli, the senior, and Samuel, the youth, says that it is the youthfulness with the experience of age, this is as God would have it be. We are living in a time when the Bible writers inspired by heaven understood that, and whether they understood or not, they were inspired to write it, that at a very age when separation is the norm, isolation is the desire, and when generations have been turned upside down and stepped on, that we would need them more than ever at the advent, the second advent, the appearing of the great God and King Jesus Christ. 
And when you don't treasure and hold these people in esteem in your homes and in your hearts, you are almost writing your own eternal death certificate as you write off the people who have walked and learned in the only school that really gets the credentials of heaven. It's nice to have letters and name names of institutions after your person, if that's what you're called to do. But take heart, folks. The greatest imperative in all of Scripture is that we learn through the tutelage of the Holy Spirit in the school of life. And whether you were rich enough to afford an education or poor enough not to, God himself has pledged to be your teacher, and God has ordained an economy of understanding. And in that economy of understanding, the gray head found in the way of righteousness is not only to be revered, I would suggest to you this morning that gray matters are the matters just preceding the return of Jesus Christ. And our churches and our homes are to be bound together in this beautiful humility that recognizes the fragility of age. There are certain liabilities with age. And yet, the richness of all that could keep the compass well calibrated for walking in the true way and staring, staying on the narrow path, this is what God designs to happen through the aged in our midst. One little post note on Elihu's speech to Job is that even though God has ordained that his speech be recorded, God addresses the three older men in the book of Job, and God addresses Job himself, but God doesn't even address Elihu in the book of Job. Somewhat of a not-so-subtle remonstrance. When we stop and we think about an old woman giving baby life. When we think about where we're at societally, I want to tell you, it's a sweet and precious memory that I have of my grandparents, especially my grandmother who walked with Jesus. I'm here before you today because of her prayers. I'm here before you today because of her consistency. I can still remember the time when we were done with church school. I've told you the story before, but the, the congregation changes week by week. And we're driving out of Peoria Junior Academy. And my grandmother had just had, my grandmother had just had the special music at the Peoria Church. Her voice wasn't nearly as good in her middle 70s as it had been in her middle 50s or her middle 30s. And for some odd reason, I decided it was time to mock grandma's singing. Well, I don't know if you had parents like this, but my mom was a no-nonsense lady. <laughs> and, you know, my mom had a code of ethics. And if there's, for all that my mom got right, probably one of the best things my mom got she didn't get a college degree. She became a nurse in her middle age by the time I graduated. Actually, I graduated for high school before my mother became a nurse. So at this point in time, my mom had no college education. I don't think she had even graduated from academy. She got kicked out six weeks before. But my mom didn't understand that the wisdom and the honor of age should be respected. And there I am sitting in, in the car, and she's driving. But my mother was a consummate multitasker. And 
She could keep the car going down the road while she spun her head around to look at me, and that hand came up. And I want to tell you, I got a real quick speech, which was going to be followed with some application. And I knew I better never make fun of my grandma's 75-year-old voice again. I'm embarrassed to tell you the story in one sense now, but I was a kid. But I did get taught. And so I can still almost see her turning her arm around with her hand like this, looking at me. And I tell you, she had that fiery look in her eyes that said, you will never talk about my mother like that. Oh, yes, sometimes old people have a few eccentric habits that are a little humorous. It's not that all humor is gone. But if we don't hold them in extreme revere, no free passes, as long as you've got your right mind, older folks. And for those of you who look at me and an older folk, as long as we've got our right mind, you've got to keep growing. You don't get to stay where you're at. But God calls us to be the consummate family in the age of consummate dysfunction. And if we want to get it right, we better remember that 14 million people died between 1914 and 19, followed by another 50 million. A drop of 27%, or a rise of 20% unemployment, 24% unemployment, and a drop of 27% of world GDP. 300 million people through smallpox. Myriads more in World War II. Korean War, Vietnam War, Cold War. Yes, these individuals that have weathered these storms of life and managed to stay loving, kind, and true are the people God is going to continue to use right up until the very end. And we know just before Jesus comes, he's going to lay some of them to sleep because the physical vigors of life are going to become too great. When that moment comes, Christ's coming is right around the corner. I was having a conversation with one of my kids yesterday. He likes to rag on the boomers. I said, I pity you when the boomers are gone. I pity you when the people who still have a modicum of values, old-fashioned values, are gone. The society you have will be a very unique and interesting one, one I don't really want to be around to experience. May God help each of us this holiday season stop and say to ourselves, Lord and to God, I am so thankful for the people you put in my life. I am so thankful for the sacrifices they made. I am so thankful for the commitment to the church. I am so thankful for the wisdom they have. And may we humble ourselves in the sight of the Lord so that we don't miss the messaging. Because if God follows in themes and symbolic parallels, I don't think we should expect that the last messages will come any other way than they came right before he came the first time. And they're going to be people whose lives cannot be controverted. They are real and genuine. And if you won't hear the credibility of the gray head found in the way of righteousness, you won't listen to anything. Yes, friends, gray matters. And it should matter the most amongst us. May we be a society that is contrary to the others. May our homes be beautiful and uniquely different. And may we honor those who have walked the path before us. May God bless you this Christmas season as we go into a new year. And may we show the world that we're getting it right 
because the best educated in our midst are calling out cadence. May God bless us this Christmas season. Don't forget, when he was a babe, gray mattered. Father, thank you for your amazing patience. Sanctification is a work of a lifetime. When individuals day by day give you their heart, you make them into the most beautiful people. I'm praying, Lord, for those who have passed by those educational moments and have refused to grow. They brought aberrations of sin and reinforced them through the decades. They're still worthy of a measure of honor for they brought us into this world and they nurtured us to a point in time and educated us in the things of life. May no one here be too proud to grow, to change, to acknowledge that maybe they didn't do something right. For no hour is too late for a mind that is alive and aware and sensitive to the Spirit to say, 
I want to change this. I want to keep on growing. Forgive us as a nation and a society have we exported the idea of age and irrelevance. And I'm praying now, Lord, bless this congregation. Show us how to properly nurture and encourage and esteem those that have walked the way before us. Thank you for our elders. Bless them, Lord. May we all grow into the capacity of being a gray head found in the way of righteousness. Now, Lord, bless us this, this wonderful time of year with the perfect peace of Jesus, who himself is referred to as the Ancient of Days. And we look forward to that time, Lord, when we can grow old and more beautiful both ways, inside and out. Bless us now this Sabbath day, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.